positively to a certain branchy tree shape because it stirs up comforting genetic memories of the sort of tree in which our simian forebears roosted at night for safety from predators. The embers gyred up toward the treetops, and with them went my thoughts, in which the lives of people and animals were twined together in an endlessly varied dance of fear, worship, curiosity, delight. Among other things, I found myself thinking about Gaius Julius Salinus. Regarding the third or possibly fourth most influential writer of natural history ever produced by Western civilization, almost nothing is known except that he was a systematic plagiarist and suffered from an inordinate fondness for monsters. Classicists have generally surmised from close readings of the text that Gaius Julius Salinus was a Roman, or anyway a citizen of the Roman Empire, who cobbled together his Collectania Rerum Memorabilium, collection of remarkable facts, sometime between A.D. 220 and 280. It was a work of about 200 pages, mostly stolen from the Roman encyclopedist Pliny, And when modern critics try to characterize it, words like wretched and trivial spring to mind. It's a source of understandable consternation for these critics to add that Salinus nonetheless helped shape European ideas about nature and the world at large for more than a thousand years. So when I came across his work not long ago in the course of preparing this book, Salinus naturally intrigued me. I browsed through his remarkable facts with wonder at how shamelessly he distorted the natural world. The deeply gratifying sensation of disdain for our primitive forebears welled up within me. Here was the perfect model of everything a natural history writer should not be. But I must confess that I also continued to read, and with a sort of guilty fascination otherwise reserved for tabloid newspaper headlines in the supermarket checkout line. You know the sort of thing. Forty-foot moth crashes into lighthouse. Monster bug couldn't resist glowing beacon. As the title of his book promised, Salinus presented readers with a world of marvels, some pleasing, but mostly horrific. In Germany, the nocturnal traveler could depend on luminous birds to light his way through the forest. In Ethiopia, a vague term referring to any place from Senegal to Sri Lanka, lived ants the size of mastiffs that used their claws for digging gold. Egypt was subject to periodic invasion by vast flights of winged serpents, against which the vigilant ibis was its only defense. In India dwelt the cruel manticore, a lion with a scorpion's tail and the face of a human, which seeketh most greedily after man's flesh. The natural world, as Salinus presented it, was deeply polarized. Some animals were intuitively sensitive to human needs and properly submissive in serving them, while others, like the manticore, lived chiefly to rip human flesh, which also took strange and monstrous forms. Despite the utterly anthropocentric character of the world as Salinus saw it, the boundary between humans and animals was confused, as it remains for us today. Salinus populated distant nations with cynocephali, or dog-headed humans, and with headless people called blemies, whose faces were incorporated into their chests.
Such marvels no doubt found an eager audience, in part because of their storybook quality. In time, Salinas and his book alike became known simply as Polyhistor, the teller of many tales. But unlikely, as it may seem to modern readers, Salinas endured for a millennium because people also believed what he wrote, and they wanted to believe it. Strange creatures out of Salinas thus turn up repeatedly not just in fables, but on sober world maps, and not just through the medieval period, but well into the age of exploration. He provided the stock images to which the lazier map illustrators returned even into the 1700s, as in the Jonathan Swift verse, So geographers in Afric maps with savage pictures fill their gaps. One such stock image, found, for instance, in the Nuremberg Chronicles of 1493...